0: Sorry about that. I didn't know where the table was, and then my microphone was still on mute. All right. How are you this morning? Man, it's good to have you here. If you're watching online, great to have you here with us. You know, um, in this series, this is something we've been saying, and we'll keep saying it here for the next few weeks. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Um, in our house, um, the five of us that live in our house, we have a, se- we call it birthday season, okay, because all of us have birthdays and several holidays as well between Easter and June every year, and it's like a marathon, okay? We literally have cake available in our house for three full months, okay? At three full months, I kid you not, ice cream and cake are always available. And what's difficult about that is, is I'm trying to make some good choices about what I'm eating for, you know, at lunch. And in fact, um, I get made fun of by my coworkers constantly for what I bring at lunch, uh, which is, uh, among other things, a tuna pouch, okay? Yeah, I know, that sounds really tantalizing, doesn't it? Tuna pouch, yeah. And can you believe that Christian people who work for a church would make fun of me for that? <laughs> It's hard to believe, I know, but they do, they do, they're not, they're not the good people you think they are, okay, I'm just telling you that right now, and, and so I try to make good decisions, okay, for lunch, so, but then I come home, all right, and there's this cake sitting on the counter staring at me, all right, and it just kind of begs, it begs me to say no to the tuna, and yes to a slice of heaven, all right, and we're still in the midst of this birthday season, so pray for us, okay, pray for us. Because it's, it's a difficult thing to, tr- to, to trade the tuna for the cake, but I can do it, all right? But what if, what if God invited you to say yes to him? What would it look like for you and I to say yes to the things that God puts in front of your path? What, it, what would it look like to say yes to the things that matter to God the most? If you had to do that today. What would you have to say no to? You know, here at White Oak, we have a, a mission statement, and, we, and we, we say it like this, and maybe you've heard it, connecting people to full life in Jesus, to full life in Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they would have life, that we would have life and have it to the full, and we believe at White Oak that we, we've, we've chosen three things that we'd like to focus on to say we, we believe that when we embrace these things and accept them from our heavenly father that it, and, and be activated into ministry, that we will discover that full life he's talking about. And the first one is that we would find our identity in Jesus, that God alone tells us who we are. And the second one is, is that every single one of us have been equipped to love and equipped with a purpose, And when you realize that and press into that, you begin to discover that full life that Jesus came and died to give you. And that each of us, the third thing is that we've been deployed on mission, that together as a community, we have a mission to accomplish for the kingdom of God. And those are the things that we want to say yes to. And so today, our big idea and the thing that we're going to be focusing on today is this, say yes to obedience, basically the big idea is say yes to saying yes all right but that's it say yes to obedience now obedience is kind of a simple thing to define right i mean we we you kind of immediately know when i say obedience it's a little bit of a tough word all right but but it's it's really this it's when you and i follow a directive or a command that someone in authority has given us you and i follow a directive or a command that someone in authority has given us, that's obedience. And so, some examples we we would immediately think of as like a government to a citizen, right? Or a parent to child, or teacher to student. I mean, those are things that we can wrap our heads around. That's obedience, right? But I would tell you this morning that it it actually goes much deeper than that, all right? Saying yes to to obedience goes much deeper. It's more complex than that. There was a study done in the 1960s and 70s, it's called the Milgram Study, Dr. Milgram um, collected a group of subjects from the community that surrounded Yale University in the 1960s and 70s. Milgram wanted to understand what it was that made ordinary, seemingly good German citizens during World War II commit such atrocities during the Holocaust. He wanted to understand why would people obey such horrific orders. So he gathered a group of test subjects, and, and the experiment was this. The test subject was told that the experiment was a, based on learning. It was experiment about learning, okay? So the experimenter sat in a room along with the test subject who was considered the teacher, okay? And that teacher sat in front of a box, and that box had buttons on it labeled with an increments of electric voltage of shock. And they were told in the room next to them was another t- test subject, and they, he was called the learner. Okay, they were the learner. And that learner was strapped to a chair with several electrodes placed all over their body. Okay, now, that person was actually in on the experiment. So there was actually no electric voltage being driven through those, those nodes, okay? But, but the teacher believed that they were. So the experiment went like this. Teacher's supposed to read a question, and if the learner in the other room gets it wrong, he's supposed to press a button which would shock them. And with each question they got wrong, the increased voltage would continue to shock the person in the other room. Now, what do you think happened? All right? Well, the teacher began to read a series of questions. And with each one, the learner got wrong, pressed a button. And it would shock them. And eventually, as the voltage increased, the person began to cry out in pain in the other room over the microphone. All right? Now, the voltage went from 15 to 450 volts. And every time the person would start crying out, you got to stop, you got to stop, I told you I had a heart problem. And, and, And they were screaming out in pain. And every time that the teacher started to hesitate and look at the experimenter as if they were supposed to stop, The experimenter would simply look at them and say, the study requires that you continue. Now, at the end of Milgram's study, it showed that 65% of the subjects were willing to follow the instructions, shocking that person in the other room, all the way up to 450 volts. And at the end of 450 volts, they were shocking that person three times until the experimenter told them to stop. 100% of the people involved administered the electric shock up to a certain point. Now, we say, that was in the 1960s. We have a much more developed culture. We are people of intellect. We um, don't so readily and blindly obey just so blindly anymore. We wouldn't do that today. Well, they actually redid a version of that study in 2009, and 100% of the women and the men involved Administer the electric shock up to a certain point. What? What's the point? I'll tell you. You and I have to obey someone. It's in our nature to do it. It's in our DNA. It's in our will that we have to obey someone. We have to conform to something that someone tells us. And you can't. You can fight against it, but you can't reject it. And I don't even know that we were meant to. Listen, but I do think what we can do is we can redirect that nature that we've been given to obey someone. And we can do it for the things that matter most to God and for eternity. And that's what we want to press into today. Say yes to obedience. Luke wrote a book of Acts, and we're gonna be really glad here as you read, as if you ever read the book of Acts, that he did it, because Luke interviewed people who knew Jesus personally, and then as he participated in the events in the book of Acts, he writes a history, and that's what the book of Acts in the New Testament is it's a history of the church's birth in the Roman world in the first century. All right, we're going to pick it up here in just a moment in Acts chapter 9. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, bring that up on your phone. We have free Bibles for you at the hub, out in the lobby. You can grab one of those. Open up the chapter 9. We're going to get there in just a second. But let me tell you kind of some of the context. We're going to meet a guy in Acts chapter 9 by the name of Saul. Okay, the name of Saul. Now I'll tell you this, Saul, his name in Hebrew means desired, And this is going to, I think this is going to have meaning for us here in just a few minutes, so stay with me. Saul means desired. Now, after Saul's conversion to Christianity, he's going to go by his Roman name, one that I'm sure you, maybe you've heard, and that's Paul, the Apostle Paul, maybe you've heard him called St. Paul, all right? The Apostle Paul, his Roman name means little, as in tiny, all right? But either way, after his conversion to Christianity, right, but, well, bef- sorry, before his conversion to Christianity, Saul was a fierce persecutor of Christians. As the church began to right, take, take precedent and, and rise in Jerusalem, Saul was a staunch persecutor. He was part of a religious Jewish sect known as a Pharisee, religious Jewish leader, And he was bent on stomping out the church before it could catch any more enthusiasm and growth in Jerusalem. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, um, in fact, the Pharisees were so strict about the Jewish law and the Jewish faith that, that Paul was willing to go to the extreme. And in Acts chapter 7, you see that he's part of the execution of the first Christian martyr that we know of, Stephen. He was stoned to death. They threw stones at him until he died. I probably need to make sure that we phrase that right, all right? That's how he died. They threw rocks at him, all right? That's, that's what happened. All right, so it was a brutal execution, all right? Brutal execution. Now, After Paul's conversion, he's going to write a letter to the Christians in the city of Philippi, and he's going to talk about his past life and and the credentials that he held as this Jewish religious leader. So in Philippians chapter three, you can still stay in Acts nine, you're cool. Let me just read from you what happens here in Philippians chapter three real quick. So what Paul says, he says, if someone else think that they have reasons to put confidence in their flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. See, Paul prided himself in this pedigree, in these credentials that he had. He was raised by Jewish mother, mother and father, very wealthy, and he was raised in the Jewish custom and religion. They sent him to school in Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and Tarsus at the time for its education and its learning and as a university town, they called it like the Little Athens, all right? Athens was known as that then. Tarsus was known as the Little Athens. Paul was not only educated... In the Greek, or I'm sorry, in Jewish language and culture, he also became well acquainted with Greek philosophy and religion. And then he went to Jerusalem to study under famous rabbis and universities to learn all about Jewish theology and history. Paul was a smart guy. He was a wealthy guy. He was an educated guy, and he, put, he rested a lot of his power on those credentials, so we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 9. This is just shortly after Stephen's murder. All right, Acts chapter 9. Turn with me there. All right, and we're going to just start in verse 1. All right, this is what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, capital W, interesting, that's what he is referred to as the Christians, the way, okay? Whether they be men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Yeah, I can imagine they were speechless, all right? Listen, Saul hears this voice, okay? The resurrected. Most scholars believe that not only did he hear the voice, but this bright light from heaven was actually Jesus seeing. I'm sorry. Was actually Saul seeing Jesus? The resurrected Jesus appeared to Saul on the road, and we kind of understand that a little bit from the saying that the companions heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone, implying that Paul had. Okay, so that's what just happened here. Now, I want to go over here with you this morning briefly three quick things, the components of obedience. As we say yes to obedience, what do those components look like? The first one is the posture of obedience. The second one is the reason for obedience. And the third one is the response of obedience. Posture, reason, response. So here's the first one, the posture of obedience. What does it look like to posture yourself for obedience? Okay, on on the road to Damascus, we see that Paul falls face down on the ground when this bright light shines. Okay, now this is not an uncommon um, response, as you read in scripture, of people who encounter a heavenly being. Only this isn't an angel. This is the resurrected. He was just crucified several weeks before Jesus that Paul saw. All right. Now, I don't think it's just coincidence that Saul's name in Hebrew means desired. All right, because Saul had this desire to root out, he was hell-bent on rooting out Christianity. And the thing is, you and I tend to take a posture much like Saul had before this trip down this road on this day, and that is you and I posture ourselves with power and strength in order to get what we want out of life. For Paul, it was the posture of power in his pedigree, his merit, his credentials, and I think we can understand that, all right? Because some, some of you have been filling out financial aid or maybe the FAFSA form if you're going to college or, you know, you, you, you know you've got a resume, you've got a transcript, and we've all been there at some level. You know how to pad those things and dump your credentials on that, right? Because you want, you want to make a, you show yourself as being pretty good. Paul had that too. But maybe for you it's money. Man, you posture yourself for power and opportunity to make more money, to spend more money, to show that you make more money to the people around you. All right? Maybe it's, it's the things that we posture ourselves to get exactly what we want out of our kids. And we set them up and we make sure we set them up so that they can earn a lot of money, so they can buy things to show that they earn a lot of money. Maybe you posture yourselves to, to get the most out of whatever you want out of relationships, out of marriage, out of sex, we posture ourselves to get the attention we think we deserve from a coach or a boss or coworkers or friends. And we posture ourselves in, this Id- in strength and power because our main desire, hear me, is self-preservation and self-advancement. That's what we want out of life. And that takes a position of power and strength in every opportunity and every facet of your, mind, your life and mine. But here's the problem. When our personal desires shape who or what we obey, it doesn't always work out well. Think about it. The money is never enough, is it? You're never content. What about when the kids go off the rails? They embarrass you. They disappoint you. What happens when that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that husband and wife didn't complete you like you've been told they should? What happens when you're just so sick and tired of trying to earn someone else's approval, putting on that facade, and finding a way to numb the pain that you have? What happens then? See, if your biggest desire in mine postures us for self-advancement and self-preservation... Then why do you still feel so unfulfilled, so depleted, so lonely, and so stuck? It's because it's not working. See, Jesus said to Saul, what you desire is wrong. You're taking the wrong posture here, Saul. Hit the ground, Saul. Saul. I mean, isn't that essentially what Jesus said when he appeared? Hit the ground. Because Paul, in the coming years, Paul, right, which desired, and then Paul starts going by Paul, which means little. I think Jesus is saying, Paul, let me show you over the next few years how little you really are, how insignificant your merit and your credentials and your pedigree is compared to my glory and my power that's going to pour in you and right back out of you again. Guys, let me tell you this. If you want to enjoy the full life of obedience to Jesus, one of the things we have to do is take a posture. And the only posture that is acceptable when you encounter Jesus Christ himself is to hit the ground face down in humility and surrender. And some of us just got a lot of work to do on that today, including myself. Let me tell you about the reason for obedience. Why should we obey? All right? So Jesus' first, first words to Saul is a question. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, I, what I love about this picture is, you know, Jesus could have come to Paul at any point. Like maybe when, when, when Saul is gathering the cloaks and holding the coats of all the people who are throwing rocks at Stephen, maybe, maybe God could have appeared to, to Paul then. Or maybe like so many other people in Scripture, Jesus or, or, or God could have come to Paul in a dream at night while he was sleeping, but he didn't. He decided to come to Paul while he was walking down the road toward his next thing that he desired. And guys, I just want to tell you straight up, you and I have been walking down a road too. I don't need to convince you of this because you know it deep in your heart. You and I have been walking down the road in direct opposition to the will and the glory of God. We've been trying to make it on our own through conformity, through self preservation or self promotion, or even religious duties, even acting religious. You see, our predisposition to obedience, which we all have, has led us down a path of sin. And hear me, and this is the first time I really thought about this as I've read this passage, and I've read this passage a hundred times, is that every single person in this room is guilty of persecuting Jesus. You've done it. You've done it. You've done it. I've done it. I've persecuted him. I have faced the sinless, perfect son of God And I said, I don't think so. And do you know why you so often, you and I can't shake the feeling of regret and guilt? That we can't shake that feeling of not being good enough or needing more to feel content? Do you know why you can't shake it? It's because you're guilty, it's because you are guilty. It's because you are discontent. It's because you are lonely and you'll never find human relationships to fill the void in you. You're guilty. And it's not a natural feeling. You weren't supposed to feel that. And I wasn't meant to feel that. But we do because we're persecutors. And then, and then... Jesus intersects your road. And then you and I have an opportunity to intersect Jesus. See, the reason for obedience is because you're a persecutor of the holy God who loves you deeply. And he's got a better way. Let's look at the response of obedience. We talk about the posture, humility and surrender. We've talked about the reason. It's because we're guilty. Let's look at the, the response of obedience. So Jesus says, I am Jesus. Paul says, who are you, Lord? Like he's not Lord as in a capital L like God. He's like, who are you, sir? All right, that's Paul's response. He did not know who he is. And Jesus says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you've been persecuting. Now get up and go, and, and you will be told what you must do. Now when you keep reading this, it's a fascinating, and it's not a very long passage there. Paul is blinded for a short time. When the light goes away and Jesus is gone, he's blinded. His companions have to lead him to the city, all right? And I'm going to tell you this right now in your response to obedience. There will be pain. Understand that. There will be interruptions. There will be inconveniences. When you say yes to Jesus and no to something else, there's going to be pain involved. And at the time that that Paul is being blinded on the road, Jesus is appearing to another guy. I love that God is just so powerful. He's like, I'm just going to do this at the same time. Ananias is sitting at home watching Netflix, and Jesus appears to him, all right? This, this, this believer, Ananias, all right? And, and, and Jesus appears to him and says, hey, Saul is going to be coming into town. When he gets here, I want you to go to the house where he's going to stay. I want you to teach him, and I want you to baptize him. All right? Now, look at Ananias' response here in verse 13 of chapter 9. All right, It's going to be the response you and I would have. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, that's a horrible idea. That's Okay, he didn't say that, but he did say, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. What's Ananias saying? Lord, I hear you. My answer is no, you don't. This is a horrible idea. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Yes or no. If you say yes or if you say no, there will be fear, there will be pain, and something will change in your life. If you say no, that fear and that pain will continue to manifest itself in discontentment and searching, and you're welcome to it. If you say yes, there will be fear, and there will be discomfort, and yes, there'll probably be pain, but you will find contentment and purpose and joy. It's your journey, and you get to choose it. Saul's sight was eventually restored, and Paul became the greatest apostle of the apostles traveling throughout the Mediterranean Roman world, planting churches, and the church exploded. We're here today because of him. Jesus said, Paul, get up, and he got up. And I know that we're predisposed to obey someone and the reason that you're not obeying Jesus, the reason you and I aren't obeying Jesus is because we haven't let, it, let him interrupt our lives. We've invited him to come alongside us. We've said, Jesus, why don't you walk with me? Why don't you walk next to me? You can do that. I'll, I'll say yes to this and to you, and we'll just walk this journey together. And when Jesus says, if you want to know what obedience looks like to where I'll lead you to full life, you have to say no to those other things. I have, to, I have to like intersect your life and change you. I have to be king. I have to be Lord. I have to lead. You can't have it both ways. Stop asking Jesus to walk beside you in your decision-making and start asking him what he wants for your life and follow after it. That's what saying oh yes to obedience looks like. And if you've never made the decision to follow him, I would invite you to come up here as we sing this song here in just a moment. And if you want to talk about being baptized into into life in Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that. There'll be some people up here to do that. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you if you want to come up here because you sense right now what is it that Jesus is asking you to do next? What is it that you feel God is asking you to do next? Come up here, and we'd love to pray with you about that. You can go back to our Say Yes wall out in the lobby, write it on a card, put it up there, but come forward, we'd love to pray with you on that. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. Because delayed obedience is disobedience, and we are a people of yes. And you know that Jesus said yes, When his father said, go to the cross, he said, I'm there. You're going to die for them. I'm there. And you know why? Because you and I stink at saying yes. We love our addictions. We love our self-promotion. We we love our sin. And even when I want to get the word out of my mouth that says yes, I might say it, but my heart says no. Even when I want to muster the word yes, I can't. And yet, every day, you have a Father in heaven who says yes to you, yes for you, yes to you, every single day. That's Jesus. That's your Jesus. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Intersect our lives, Father. Interrupt it. Redirect us. Father and our imperfections and our inability create in us a heart and a mouth of people who say yes to you. I love you, and I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.